This is the Impossible Things Podcast. Here are three average guys discussing the impossible. Jesse Human, Jimmy Donahue, and your host, Kyle Cole. Welcome back to the Impossible Things Podcast. I'm here with the uh, egghead, Jesse. Egghead. And the tall, four-headed Jimmy. Hey, that's pretty good. Tall, four-headed. That's great. And not not, a, not much of a tip of the cap, but today we're going to talk about phrenology. Very highbrow of you. Ah, we hit all three of them. Hey. <laughs> so those three phrases, highbrow, egghead, and tall foreheads, mm-hmm. come from a very uh, discredited piece of pseudoscience called phrenology, where uh, it, it was thought that uh, you could discern a person's character and intelligence by inspecting the cranium. That's what we're going to talk about today. Yes. But first... How are you guys doing? Jesse, how are you? I'm all right. I'm kind of perpetually tired, but, you know, that's life. Little kids. Anybody, yes. anybody knows that. Anybody who knows little kids knows that. Yeah. That's I understand. True. I, think, I think people can know it by rote who don't have little kids. I agree. I think Jimmy knows just by proxy that mm-hmm. uh, children, small children are exhausting. Yeah. No, it's uh, looking, real, looking real forward to it. Just being tired all the time. <laughs> when I say little kids, you say tired little kids. <laughs> tired. Yeah, that's right. It just kind of sucks because it makes me feel bad because, like, I am actually perpetually tired as well. But it's just from playing video games way too late and going to work way too early. <laughs> that's that's not right. You can do whatever you want. You can just play video games if you want. Yes, don't be despondent about your good choices to do things that are only in your own self-interest right now while you can. Yeah, it's probably a good idea to just kind of get it in while I can. Uh-huh. So, Jimmy, how are you doing? Uh, I'm good. I'm pretty good. Were you able to pause your video game so you could record this session with us? Yeah, I mean, I was just in the middle of beating one. That's why we started a little late. Ah, I see. Mm-hmm. Yep. I thought it was so, going to be Jimmy, 15 minutes, and it did not. So, Jimmy, we were, uh, the world is dying to know uh, about a couple topics that you missed earlier in the season. Oh, yeah. Uh, let, let's just let's pick one at random. Like, wait, sure. wait, maybe we can go through like one every week until we catch you up here. Okay. But, uh, let, let's start at the very beginning. What, mm-hmm. uh, what do you think about modular cities? Ah, that's cool. Did I? I, I brought that one up, right? I, I think you I, did. I feel like that was your idea, yes. Oh, that's great. And was this one that I missed in the beginning of this season or back when I was still in China? Uh, I don't know where the idea came up from. It was the beginning of this season. It was the beginning of this season, though? I think you were. Yeah, it was like, it was very early in this season. All right. Four, three, something like that. Modular cities. Uh, What did Jesse say? Jesse, did you say these things are possible or impossible at like a scale of like something like New York City? I don't know. We didn't. Oh, like New York City. We we talked about a couple of different ideas that we found out there, and I don't know if we completely denied it. It was. Well, but I don't want to. I don't want to tip. I don't want to tip him. I want to hear what he has to say before we tell him what we said. Okay. All okay. right. That's fair. I think. I think it's kind of a. I. This is probably a cop out answer. It. I believe it's completely possible. The problem is it's highly improbable because it requires an incredible amount of coordination for like multiple like industries. I and to, uh, just to make sure our definitions are the same, the the idea that I have is 
cities can be built in a way that their foundations can always stay the same. And when we decide to like build a stadium or like build another warehouse or change a warehouse district to a residential district, we don't need to change any of the utilities. We just knock down the top layer and then add whatever we need to on top of it and move things in a really modular like grid. Is that kind of like what we? I, yeah, I don't think that's. I don't think that's a mis a misdescription of what we are going for. We actually we, we covered a, a lot of different types of things. Yeah, there was people that were that had ba- really fleshed out ideas. Well, there, yeah, there's there's one that's that they're like actively pursuing. It's a floating city. There's mm-hmm. a couple, yeah, that were in development. But yeah, that that one's very interesting. Most, that one seemed the most the most plausible at this point. Because I don't even remember where I first heard about it, but the idea to me, like a modular city is a city that at any given point, when the times really start changing, it can adapt to those times. Like, the, I, I think the original idea I heard of was like in times of great like drought in California, which it seems like we're finally pulling out of, which is pretty cool, uh, if, if you believe the news. <laughs> but who knows? <laughs> uh, it, it's things of like, okay, well, this city is we're, we're facing a lot of drought, but we have a couple of, their, couple of modular cities on the coast. Let's rearrange the the like the infrastructure we have on the coastline and let's create some power plants pretty easily. Because one of the big things in construction is laying down the utilities. If you never had to lay down the utilities, you in theory, it's not going to be like cheap or free, but it's cheaper to move buildings from place to place or add buildings in certain places, or build on top of things if all the utilities and everything are already set at, at a foundational level. I mean, honestly, if you if you figured out a clever way to do kind of like a tile system, like when everyone was getting crazy about like solar roadways, and they're talking about piecing roadways together. Wait, wait, wait! Solar freaking roadways to you, buddy. Yeah, it's been a been a year since anyone shared that video, though. So I think it's I think it's uh, just solar roadways now. Ah, uh, okay. Man, you know what? There is another... I'm just going to go on a small tangent. There was another video that came out that was, like, really, like, poo-pooing everything that was in that Solar Roadways, the first one, the Solar hmm. Freaking Roadways Not video. one. There's a, a series. <laughs> there's of, a lot of... Pe- go ahead. There are a lot of naysayers, sir. But there's... The, the main the main thing that they're... Well, okay, there's the two, the two big things about it. It was the materials that the video talked about, right? Doing it at tempered glass. That was what everyone was mad about and the fact that why would you put solar panels on a road because cars would cover it that was yep, the, that, those, those were the two those were two of the those were two of the naysaying arguments pretty common ones too I'll give you that so if the cars one doesn't make any sense to me though because if cars are constantly driving over it at 60 miles an hour isn't there enough lead time I mean like if you take a light and you take something in front of it and you just wave it in front of the light like a little thing let's say the size of a car in you know in in relation to how large sunlight covers the surface area of the earth and how much it's probably hitting every angle of that roadway and you run a little car past it let's say you run a thousand cars past it it's not enough to really mess with the light is it that doesn't read it wouldn't it interferes a tiny bit but it's not it's not it doesn't fully obscure though it's negligible the effect of that is that's of all the things to nitpick on it that's not that's not one great i'm glad i'm glad my brain's on the right track the only thing (laughs) the only thing that i have a problem with is the fact that they made everything out of glass and i just i just feel like one if you put a bunch of bumps in the road like they're like a bunch of those tiny little micro bumps to like cause traction 
that's going to make your car sound horrible when you drive over it. Even when yeah, you drive over it. like partially done asphalt, it sounds horrible and you can't hear anything even in like a really nice car. That yeah. is true. But that's very true. All right, those are my two things. I'm I'm, I'm done with that now. Going on. Funny enough, to- you actually you you like you covered you covered like two full episodes right there. Oh really? I mean, like you didn't fully well you didn't fully give uh, you didn't fully give your opinion on solar freaking roadways, but that was the second episode of the season that oh. you missed. Aha, perfect. So wait, what? So wrap up, wrap up your thoughts on modular cities though before we move on. I think modular cities is completely possible. I think it's something we should start looking more into, especially as as we have, especially as we start to have cities that start growing more and more populous. I think it needs to be something that we start, you know, figuring out how to create cities to have more of a more of a flexibility to the times to where like if we needed the city to be more focused on on a certain production type then we can add buildings and subtract buildings much faster and, you know you can take you know uh building times up and down uh, the only thing not the only thing there's probably several things that make this really hard but one of the big things i think is that just the cost balance it needs to be cost efficient if it's not cost efficient then no one will ever want to build it and if it's something that is if laying the infrastructure is incredibly efficient but it doesn't the the cost outweighs it heavily then it'll never get built so if they can find some way to efficiently build the infrastructure in a way to where we wouldn't need to upgrade the infrastructure itself all the time which lends another problem because infrastructure is constantly updating with technology as well i mean very true very true it's it's uh i think like i always think like the biggest like naysay argument to uh, modular cities is that like the grid doesn't suit every need mm-hmm. certainly not the ones like manufacturing and government I, I suppose so like I would think that those would be the hardest two like selling points and those are the ones that pretty much drive the design of most cities right like civil engineering and just regular governance but there's right. um there's an interesting episode of 99% invisible I listened to a couple of months ago um, about grid squares in um in cities and cities that are designed with like equal block lengths and like hyper organized cities. Like I think Salt Lake city is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's actually this one. Yeah. I was going to say there's this one city the, the this episode was about this one city that was like designed in uh, concentric rings. <laughs> and, and there was a whole design firm that came in to like make it squared. So I feel like I brought this up before, but <laughs> that's, it's that's such a good a episode. One. It was a great one. It's, such a good episode and it's it talks a lot about just generic city design and a lot of it reminded me of what kind of part of our like part of our discussion about modular cities and just like how cities are designed in general i think like i think that if everybody worked together and some concessions were made from the more difficult parties uh that it 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 would be really beneficial i mean especially when you start like going to build somewhere where you don't normally build housing like the ocean Mm-hmm. Um, like that was the most, the, like the most appealing modular design to me was the, was the, the one that was, the, I forget what they're called now, Jesse, but the one that was designing it to be like a floating city. Um, I would like, that was my favorite idea, frankly. Uh, I, I just had it up and then I, I went away from it, but, uh, uh, yeah, you're right. There's, and that one's actually like in development, but that was way more, um, that was, that was really different. 
really, really different than what Jimmy's talking about. It's the floating city project, right. but it's like little pods. Like you would just, it was like, um, but, sea, well, but they call it seasteading, like homesteading. That's what it is, yeah. So you just like pull your, Institute. you pull your barge up and you rent space essentially all in this commune kind of is it's really 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 different than what he's talking about it well i mean it kind of it kind of fits like what jimmy was saying though is jimmy was saying that like you pull up the top layer and set down like the next thing that you want to put there whenever you want and like the floating the floating city or the seasteading institute like concept is that you know you have your house that's part of the modules of the of the city and you want to move to another city another like floating mm-hmm. city you just disconnect your house from utilities but stop what, paying your like what utility fee and then are there utilities uh, like, in the floating city project yeah 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 there's electricity and trash and all sorts of things that they were doing but uh but like i mean the, the point was is that they could move you could like move your entire house without it being like a, a really large ordeal and it doesn't really disrupt the flow of the city yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That maybe, maybe, maybe it's wishful thinking. I really, really liked that concept. It was really, really cool. Yeah, it, it appeals to a certain um, uh, libertarian <laughs> subgroup. Wow, man. Way to paint me with that brush. <laughs> I do think it's really cool, though. The, the whole barge idea sounds interesting. And the fact that you can add pieces to it and take pieces away it does make it, in fact, very modular. So... I would say that's a type of modular city. It's just different. I think it's just different than the one I had in my head originally. But like like sea container villages. Those are cool. Like that one outside of Vegas. Yep. That uh, the Zappos guy came up with. I thought that one was interesting too. I, I swear to you, that entire that entire episode was like riddled with me mentioning ninety nine percent invisible episodes because <laughs> they've done quite a bit on like different topics that were really relatable to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's a good it's a good organized design. I think that's why they it appeals to like them and their research. Mm-hmm. I still like the maximally deployable. Well, of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's let's talk about big heads, Jesse. Big heads. Okay. We can also talk about small heads while we're at it. Why um, not? I mean, we made we made a crack about it at the beginning, but there's a lot of colloquialisms now that are used um in regards to this, like pseudoscience in general, uh, like calling calling things highbrow and like calling people eggheads, like who are super smart and uh, I don't know what are the other ones. Well, I, I mean, like telling somebody they have a big head. I think now it means you're overconfident, but like it, it kind of is born from the idea that they have a large mm-hmm. IQ because their head's so big. Um, and that's that's really like the it's the fundamental basis basis of. Uh, what what phrenology is in general but do you want to give us a quick history uh jesse yeah i found a few points so it seems like the uh the progenitor of of phrenology is this this franz joseph and gall who came up with the idea and his basic tenets were the brain is the organ of the mind which actually is a we'll get into this maybe a little more later but that was a step forward from where Very. science had been about the brain previously. That's probably, in my research, that is the most accurate 
thing that was uh, that came from phrenology was brain mapping. Right. It's the only thing that's still left over from that that part portion of the science. So yeah, they, yes, and that's the that's the second point. The mind is composed of multiple distinct innate faculties. So those those his first two his first two points, I think we we can't really disagree with. But then he goes on to because they are distinct, each faculty must have a separate seat or organ in the brain. I think we're starting to figure out that things are more interconnected than they are separate in the brain. But there are still right. seem to be reason, regions for stuff. Uh, here's where he starts to go off the rails. The size of an organ, other things being equal, is the measure of its power. And then five, the shape of the brain is determined by the development of various organs. And then six, as the skull takes its shape from the brain, the surface of the skull can be read as an accurate index of psychological aptitudes and tendencies. And that's the one where we really disagree, I think. And, you know, right. and, uh, and science in general started to, as the 19th century wore on and turned into the 20th century. So we should say, we should say here, like when, when he, when this guy, what's his name again? Uh, Gall. Gall. So when he starts to, when he talks about faculties, just to be clear, what he's talking about are, he's got a list, and like we'll post the list because he actually changes it a couple of times in the second edition and further editions of his like research. Right, and then and, others um, others come along system. and change change it more. But right, yeah. so it ends up being like the the one I found that was the most like average, I guess, is there's 33 of them. Mm-hmm. Um. Like that, which is not the number he started with. What, what did he start with? He started 26. with uh, 27, right? I think 26. 26? Yeah, 27. 27th pretty quickly. Yes. So they, but there are things like this, like the like physical love, love of offspring, inhabitiveness, adhesiveness, combativeness, destructiveness, constructiveness, covetiveness. They, man, they spelled this weird. Secretiveness, self-love, appro- approbation, Cautiousness, benevolence, veneration, hope, ideality, conscientiousness, firmness, or determinedness, individuality, (laughs) form, size, weight, color, space, order, time, number, tune, language, comparison, causality, wit, and imitation. As the list of 33. Um, And that was as of 1815 is what this says. Spursheim's... physiognomical system? Wow, man, I cannot pronounce anything today. Yeah, the physiognomy is uh, is really interesting. And I think people do this automatically, just, just you know, kind of uh, as human nature. But we tend to give people characteristics based on uh, our first visual impression mm. of their posture or their kind of uh, face... Uh, characteristics, you know, yeah. like if someone's slouching, you think, oh, that that person's probably uh, unconfident or, yeah. you know, whatever. You make assumptions. You, you make assumptions based on people's physical appearance mm-hmm. or the way they carry themselves. But it right? became around the same time. I think it became almost a, a, a pseudoscience of its own, where uh, people would make judgments about about character or. Or intelligence based on 
just the way, you know, in general, somebody's body looked or their face or, you know, any, any characteristics. Would that also but also be like getting a vibe off of somebody? Is that, is, is mm-hmm. that the same kind of thing? Maybe, although they probably would have wanted to quantify it. More than just a, a vibe? Yeah. I'm sure, but, like, I mean, Jimmy, you you read a lot of, like, business books and, like, uh, personal development books. Yeah. And I got to imagine there's a, like, large percentage of, like, the advice given in those those things about, like, this is how you should carry yourself. First impressions are a big deal. Like, mm-hmm. those those kinds of things, like... Firm handshake. I mean, what, there's, yeah, yeah, right, firm handshake. Pretty much... I mean, if you sum up a lot of those books together, it, it, it equates to everybody is judging you all the time, even if they don't yeah. realize they're judging you. Right. And it's huh. it's kind of this idea of like the same exact thing. Like there's tons of there's tons of like leadership books that say like have you ever heard of like the was uh, it, it called the victorious position? It's body oh. languages that that people naturally do. Like, they have studied all kinds of people, like, from all over the world in, like, tribes that know nothing about Western culture. And if they're ever really happy after they do something, they throw both arms up in the air. Like, mm-hmm. a, that's just a human thing to throw both arms in, like, in a victorious kind of, like... Like, I'm doing it now. You can't see me, but I, I am. Uh, like, throwing your arms... Up, imagine. Yes. Throwing your arms up in the air. And the there is a lot of talk about body language and stuff. And they will say things like, if you throw your arms up in the air and you hold it there, you will eventually become more confident because you will trick your brain into thinking you were just victorious in something. And <laughs> wait, wait a second, wait a second. The advice of one of these books is to throw your arms in the air and to wave them around like you just don't care? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't the best book, but it was good. <laughs> I've read that's, a lot of that's, them. Uh, that's really good solid advice, bro. <laughs> in your experience, Jimmy, how does this work? Uh, like what's one of the results? It, I I mean I like it. I've done it a few times actually. Like if cool. uh, uh, I tried it right away when I first heard about it and was like, okay, this is stupid. And then I tried it and was like, oh no, I actually feel a little bit better. That's this has got to be like a placebo of some sort. <laughs> <laughs> I really can't wait to see you next time. I'm just gonna throw my arms way above my head and just look at you and be like, Victoria, and you're gonna feel great. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the the rush of blood leaving my arms and like draining into the rest of my body. I'll bet you that's what it is. <laughs> well, that's that's, sorry, that was a little bit of a tangent going on stuff. But to answer your question, yeah, they talk about uh, uh, people can perceive body language and perceive like that's why I kind of used the term vibe earlier because people will mm. they just naturally they're very very good at trying to figure out what you're about and. I can't remember yeah. exactly why people do that. I mean, I should ask. I should ask Sarah. I mean, she's she's got a master's degree in brain stuff. I should ask her about that. Uh, you should ask her about this entire thing because you got to imagine that because, like, I mean, I'm sure we'll bring it up again, but th- this was only like dropped like in the 1910s, yeah, as as being like actual like presented as actual science. So I got to imagine that like psychology students now nowadays study it as like a Oh, hey, and by the way, this is what led to, like, brain mapping and, you know, mapping personality disorders to particular regions of the brain or or not. I don't know. I don't know anything about the actual science behind this. It's just interesting that there are a couple of, like, legitimate things that came out of this really crazy idea. Because mm-hmm. this sounds almost as, like, ridiculous as, hey, the Earth is flat, you know? Like, it's, it's just completely ridiculous because it's been – I'm going to call it disproven. It's been disproven over and over again. Right. In certain cases, but then there are certain things that 
haven't been able to have been disproven. They've only been reinforced. Well, there's um, there's some like actually this I will share this story because it, it, leading up to this talk, I had asked Sarah a question about you know sizes of brains and things like that being disproven like doesn't make you more intelligent and she brought up an interesting point saying that you know it's actually the wrinkles in your brain that we are figuring out now that science nowadays is saying the more wrinkles you have the the more places for your memories to be stored they're starting to figure out that the more huh. wrinkles you have lead to a higher uh so to a a, a higher intelligence uh so that being said you could make the argument that more surface area means more intelligence because as you okay. add wrinkles you are adding more to things but that's interesting that's a that's a curious theory or yeah. i guess curious science i guess not theory but no i mean it's i mean and who knows science is changing every year we're going to figure out next year that it's got nothing to do with anything but <laughs> i think I've, I've heard that too about the wrinkles but who knows yeah i mean i guess I've heard, I've heard that's what like, uh, man, I don't really, I don't like saying things that I'm not 100. percent Well, that's not true. I say things all the time that I'm not 100 sure. But <laughs> but you don't like, I don't it. like you it. say it. You I don't, don't like, like saying it. things that I'm not like 50 percent sure that they're right. <laughs> I'll go with 65 and up. Um, but I believe like all Alzheimer's patients actually have a a smoothing smoothing of the brain, and that is what. Um, we talked about it a long time ago, I think, in the podcast. But when I was in my car accident, um, and we were talking about—I can't remember what subject we were talking about—but we were talking about like personalities and things changing um, when you go through like crazy head trauma or something like that. Um, and the doctors, when we were talking about it, were saying it—it it was something like uh, the impact—the impact that I suffered in the the accident has caused some parts of my brain to smooth out which is why i have a really hard time remembering certain pieces of my past like <laughs> like which is pretty cool because i don't remember almost any of high school which all the stories i hear is probably a good thing uh, <laughs> but there's definitely something to do with wrinkles and intelligence and memories and stuff but you know, the whole the whole brain and mind thing is really hard to nail down from what I understand. There was something I was gonna throw in when you guys were talking when we had brought up the the different brain regions that Gall had made up. Mm -hmm. I mean, I say made up because I don't really know where he got any of this any of his ideas about what's where. He made you know, it up. He <laughs> went how, for it. how on earth would you know? Oh well. So uh this this article it's a history of phrenology the history of phrenology dot org. Yeah. Uh, in this article, down a little ways towards the end, there's a paragraph that says, "All of the organs, quote, or bumps identified by phrenologists are now considered purely imaginary, except for Gall's faculty of words or verbal memory, which was close to the present location of Broca's and Wierinke's speech areas." Hmm. So he basically got one right, just by luck. However, however, following Spursheim's modifications of Gall systems, later phrenology abandoned its only correct organ. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that always the way? <laughs> yep. Oh man, that sucks. So, yeah. so Jesse, being that we can like trace this back to like this one, this one Austrian dude, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, as we follow the history of phrenology, it's very it, it's a relatively like short lived piece of science. Yeah, quite. Uh, I mean, like, it's got its roots way back to Hippocrates. Hippocrates. Yeah, Hippocrates. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Every time I say it, I want to say the like joke phonetic pronunciation, the Hippocrates. <laughs> um, but it's got it's got some. It, I mean, it starts. It kind of started with him, um, and he's like. I, I like to call them sweeping declarations because that's what they were. They weren't all wrong, but they they were so unspecific. It's like, oh, of course he was partially right, you know, like, why not? Yeah. Um, but other than that, like, it was really popularized in America, like, in the 19th century, even though it's this Austrian guy who's over in Germany, like, making this stuff up, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, wait, like, how did, how did it become such a popular idea in American culture in the 19th century. Well, there was, there was a lot of different people who picked it up, but there's, so there's, that's, that's an angle that I didn't really look into, but it does appear a lot in literature, but I think that was just, that's just due to the, the pervasiveness of it in Western society, particularly in England, which, uh, England would have been the main influence of the United States at that time. But yes, it shows yeah. up. It shows up in in people like people's works like Emerson, Hawthorne, Melville. It's in Moby Dick um, quite a bit, which I think is probably where hmm. I was exposed to the idea. I kind of got got curious about it. Uh, uh, Stevenson, Tennyson, and even the the list I found said Mark Twain, but I can't think of anything in Mark Twain. I well, I found <clears throat> I found a. Uh, one reference that Thomas Edison was also highly praised by, or phrenology oh, yeah. was highly praised by him, which I mean, he likes to steal his ideas from other people, so why not? You know, sure. <laughs> but everybody, you know, everybody, and they didn't know any better at the time, right? So, right. Well, and of, co- of course, a bunch of poets and uh, authors telling you something's true that that, right. that makes it and, better, I guess. And so-called scientists. I mean, there wasn't. It wasn't just Gaul going around and and saying this stuff. You know, Spurson no, was, no. was was doing things, writing, and this guy named George Combe was uh, really right. And the didn't, word in didn't his wife also wasn't she like one of the first like medical like female medical practitioners in the in the U.S. Oh, is that right? I didn't see that. I think it is her. I'm I'm looking for the article. I read like a really long. I like actually took a pretty, pretty like like about an hour and read an entire one of these articles, which I I rarely read the entirety of them, but one of them I did, and it was like I read some very interesting things about like oh yes like uh, I think it was Combs' wife. It could be a different person referenced in an article, hmm. but like. Uh, you know, was was this only the second woman to ever graduate uh, a particular medical school in New England? Oh, and maybe I did read this. Go really, on. really curious. Yeah, it was just it, she. She kind of like she ended up becoming the first like woman doctor, and that's kind of like when female doctors traditionally became um, the like the primary primary care for kids, and like mm. she had a pretty successful practice. Started like a medical journal about phrenology. It was pretty interesting. Pretty interesting history. I'll have to look it up while we're con- continuing our conversation. But yeah, it it really took off in the United States, and I think it's partly because I mean it was right in there in the in the middle of the debate about slavery in this country, mm. and it seems like it got used a lot as as uh, you know the African just doesn't possess 
the right mental faculties to rule himself as a race. So we, wow, the intelligent race, uh, owe it to them to give them a structure and things to do and blah 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 blah. blah right? If uh, if so, I remember wow. correctly, the same the same argument was made against women during the women's suffrage movement. Mm-hmm. Was their brains yeah, are potentially those brains are there? I mean, I remember people saying in a bunch where it was like, "Oh, their brains are much smaller, which means they can't do certain things." Right. And, I found it. My goodness. Okay, Lydia Lydia Folger is the woman's name. She was married to Lorenzo Fowler, mm-hmm. um, and yeah. she was only the. Um, only the second woman in the United States to graduate with a medical degree, the first one being Elizabeth Blackwell um, from New York's Geneva Medical College. Um, so in 1850, Lydia, uh, Lydia Folger, be, she became the head of and the first female professor of medicine in the U.S., and then she was the principal of the female department at uh, Geneva Medical, or I mean um, Central Medical College of Syracuse, and then she had her own practice as well in New York City, specializing in the health of women and children, while continuing to write and lecture on phrenology with her husband. So she she pretty much popularized it. Her and her husband pretty much popularized it with uh, with the, the circulation of that that um, medical journal. Uh-huh. So it was really it did what the American Phrenological Phrenological Journal, mm-hmm. which persisted very late, didn't it? I'm sorry. That, that persisted very late into the the time when, I mean, uh, relatively recently. Yeah, nineteen eleven was the last. The it was still in circulation until nineteen eleven. That's kind of way after when when, when it was abandoned had been discredited. It's kind right. of crazy that it it made it that long. I like. I'm just. I I think I'm shocked about it because it would be like uh, the. The surprise when I was reading this article, this is actually, this is the Atlantic article I, I clipped and we'll post that as well, but th- that was the one I read the entirety of. Uh, like, I was reading this article and I'm like, this lasted like really far <laughs> into uh-huh. the 1900s. Like, it, it shocked me as much with, with how much it's been discredited. It shocked me as much as like, I would be, sh- it would be like somebody still or a faction of people in the U.S. still believing the earth was flat. Like, at this late in the game. Where it's like, well, people have like, circumnavigated the globe we've seen it from outer space like there's no chance in hell this thing is flat but people still believed it and then like have you seen like there was a well i've seen pictures of it oh i've seen i've seen the effects of a round thing on a flat picture okay all right Uh, we're not talking about your head we're talking about the planet earth here jimmy (laughs) i'm just saying i'm just saying have you been out in space and seen it so you know for a fact that it's not flat no, I do not. I've not seen it with my own eyes. I have faith that it's, the Earth is as circular as and spherical as they tell me. Well, that's saying that's one thing, but are we on the inside or the outside? Oh, geez, that is that's... a different argument altogether, sir. <laughs> but a fun one. Not, nonetheless, <laughs> um, I, I just think it's I think it's shocking how how far this idea of like head shape persisted into the modern era. Like there were job there were. Uh, there were employers that like could yeah. request a phrenological study as part of your job application. I read that too. That is that's just so weird. I mean, but I just can't believe that. Like, so discriminatory nowadays. Like, it's it, all they had, though. I mean, what else would you, if you wanted? I mean, now we have. Okay, so we, here's a little tangent: the self 
what's what's it called? Self evaluation. What's the, the little quiz you got to take? Uh, the the aptitude. You have to take a little quiz at the beginning of jobs now. So it's quiz? part of the part of the the, the application like process. Test? Yeah. No. Yeah. Kind of a a psychological evaluation, oh. but just you know self done. Like the, it's online, and you have to fill in the bubbles. Mm-hmm. Huh. But what's the difference? You know what I mean? Well, I know, but like that's a little more, there's a little more anonymity in that test than there is in somebody like, here, let me feel your skull for mm-hmm. like a couple minutes here and see what indents you have and where they are. And- well, that's at least Jesse, one person. Jesse has a point though, because I mean, like those, I mean, as far as I know, those tests are figured out by surveying hundreds and hundreds of people and then just picking the answers that happen to go with the other people's traits, right? Same and, thing is, yeah. if you're feeling the answers are self-reported. What was that? Just yeah, saying? I can have a completely wrong-headed impression of myself and oh. put it down <laughs> on paper, and it's totally bogus. I suppose that's true. I like the idea of wrong-headed being an actual thing. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> but I mean, it's—I don't know. To me, it's—it's it's very slightly different than somebody feeling my head and going oh yeah nice and round this guy is he's on the up and up which (laughs) they wouldn't say because my head is not nice and round if you've seen me i mean there's more there's more science and technology than there is horoscopes and there's thousands and millions of people that believe in horoscopes yeah i mean i suppose like it i i guess i don't know it just it I, horoscopes are difficult because it like that borders on like religious belief and yeah. people get touchy about you saying that it's oh you know, it's nothing but I don't, I don't think it's I nothing. Mean, I think not it's, that I ascribe to it. I really don't. Think I it's a thing. I think maybe we should do an episode on that sometime. All right. You know, yeah, that you're right. That won't upset anybody. I'm Let's totally add, put that on the list. I'm adding it to the list. If we decide not to do it later, that's fine. Okay. No, we're doing it. Well, we have to anger all no. four of our listeners. <laughs> no. There's four now. That's double what we normally have. Oh, I'm saying, goodness, uh, Kyle. I think you would uh, enjoy this. I was being a, a smart butt, and while we were talking about the Earth is flat, I typed into Google proof that the Earth is flat, and the top ten results all said, "Hey, this is next. This is next week." Oh, oh, sorry. Well, don't don't ruin it. Okay, <laughs> we'll wait till next week then because it's hilarious. <laughs> Cliffhanger. <laughs> Okay, Don't so forget. let's talk about let's talk about the portion of this that is actually a real thing: brain imaging. Okay. What do we know about that? So I found that article. Did you? Is this what you're talking about? Yes, yes. I want to hear more about your your modern phrenology. Brain imaging yeah. is modern phrenology. This guy, it's just it's a blog post. So that's the thing about these topics that aren't as as widely published about. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't <laughs> get the real poppy like discovery uh, articles or the, the live science articles, but you do hit on some blog posts of people who think that they are incredibly qualified. Right. And uh, our, our podcast is in that category, by the way, I just thought I throw it out there. What? what? Okay. Yeah. yeah but we're, we're like, we're, we are like firmly planted on the end of the skeptic, which is where I love to live. Yeah. Yes, we are. We are. On we're also side. very aware that we're not qualified to talk about any of the things we're talking about. I believe it's in our tagline. It says we are unqualified <laughs> gentlemen, the three of us. I really don't think it's a tagline anymore. I really think it's a, a disclaimer. 
disclaimer. <laughs> is, is that the most yeah, it's probably probably more accurate. Warning: Don't yell at us. We really don't know what we're talking about. We've done some very cursory research, and we will now present it. <laughs> we we are no we are no more effective than let me Google that for you dot com. <laughs> Possible things podcast looking up things that you don't really care about. <laughs> That's, see, that's a more accurate tagline. We should just change to that. Yeah, that would be pretty funny. Okay, so about this blog, Jesse, what, what, what do we got? Uh, so he says, he, he basically says brain imaging, just it's the same. It's kind of like the discussion we just had about the, uh, the self-evaluation tests for jobs. Mm-hmm. It's, the same, it's the same as phrenology. It provides us no more information than no more accurate information than what they had. Um, but he does, I mean, I, and I think that's a little bit bunk because we can actually, so they couldn't, phrenologists could not study a live brain. All they had was the skull, which we now know it does not form around the brain. It's more genetic, you know, what your parents, you know, shape of brain or skull that your parents had. It doesn't really have anything to do with the shape of your brain, which has nothing to do with, your intelligence or character. But if we go down the track of uh, brain regions and brain regions having discrete functions, I think this is where he hangs up and he says, uh, we don't actually, we don't actually know that. We don't actually know. Okay. So we know where, so he's, we've all read these, these, studies of fMRI uh, researches right or yeah you know, little little studies that they've done with fMRI mm-hmm. which is the what is it functional magnetic magnetic resonance anyway whatever the f stands for it's like the uh, it's when they're actually a person is so an MRI is usually there's no stimuli given you're just sitting there and, and it's a brain it's a brain scan mm-hmm. just to, to get an image. But when they do fMRI, they, right. they can track areas of activity. Ah, okay. You're right. It's functional magnetic resonance. Functional, okay. And it's, uh, so you see these studies all the time. Oh, when we showed pic- people pictures of love, they, they're this section of their brain lit up. And when we showed them a bunch of concentric circles and very orderly design, the, this hemisphere lit up, and this, so we think that this, and they couple that with, um, you know, people sometimes lose the ability to, for certain motor skills or speech or uh, a color that they can see or, you know, uh, any number of, of abilities that they would have that would be controlled in the brain. If they had a brain injury to an area and lost that ability, then we can start to surmise that maybe that function was housed in a certain area of the brain. And then you can couple that with fMRI studies where they have tested for that ability and see it, you know, see the, the light up in that area. And then we start to build a a map, a brain map, I guess, or I say we as in humankind, but the the scientists, the eggheads among us, I guess, (laughs) are doing this. But this guy says, I should probably, uh, at least give him credit, William or Warren W. Tryon. He's a doctor, Doctor Warren W. Tryon. 
He's a psychologist and author. And, uh, so he he's basically yeah. saying that the so he's saying he, he has a really well written uh, sentence, and he says, okay, so he he cites a study that I don't need to go into, but it's basically uh, scientists thought that she had maybe found the area in the brain for moral judgment. Oh. Ooh. And uh, and he says he he has a whole paragraph and he's kind of talking about why he doesn't he doesn't think that there's an area of the brain for moral judgment despite the results of the study and he says dependencies are not mechanisms her references her reference to the mechanics of moral judgments requires her to explain how the neural networks that she identifies generate implement the associated psychological functions, and she has not done so. So, I mean, and but how could you, right? Like, that is, that is way beyond where our science is. Mm-hmm. Like, we can just barely start to identify, which is a huge step forward from phrenology, but we can barely start to identify where brain activity is mm-hmm. with the, the limited science that we now know. But to to get a map of like where thoughts actually come from, I mean that is. Are we ever gonna know that? So I don't think so. Like I mean, I I think it's one of those things that's meant to continually be explored but never fully understood. Uh, and I mean, like it's easy to say at this point because that's where we're at. But like I really do think that it's gonna be like like us trying to explore the oceans. That's something that's very much closer to us than, than we've explored like further out. And we still don't know all sorts of stuff about, like, about the ocean. Yeah. And I think the brain's no different than that is like, we will continue to explore like the patterns of the brain and how, how memories are stored and recalled mm-hmm. forever. And we'll still keep learning stuff. Right. Right? We study, we study the brain through the way it, it behaves and through people who have brains, which is everybody how they behave and, and people with well, you know, certain disabilities uh, are, are particularly of interest because we can study their brains and how they're different from a neural normal brain and right. start to determine which brings brings up this interesting point that my wife had had thrown out there she said um, she referenced Hippocrates like we've already we've already brought him up but he was an incredibly old over 2,000 year old, uh, Greek, the the father of modern Western medicine, I guess mm-hmm. you could call mm-hmm. him. Uh, but he's he is quoted as saying, "All disease begins in the gut," and the inference is even mental disease. Hmm. So, some science is suggesting, and there's kind of a, a fringe movement that um, even like autism can be cured by changing your diet how much credibility is that is there to that though i think it's pretty new and i don't think a lot of people want to hear that mm-hmm. um but there's some there's some serious research happening and it's uh it's called gaps the gaps diet which hmm. is interesting it stands for gut and psychology syndrome. Hmm. So if you're interested, 
there is a little rabbit trail for you to dive down. I don't think that's a little rabbit trail. I think it's a, a real, that's a deep, deep rabbit hole that, to, to Wonderland. It could really be, but it's interesting, right? Especially given, given like how little we know about the brain, I guess, and how, how much more there seems to be to a whole person. And oh, way, yeah. like when, the, you, when you think of Warren, Warren Tryon's, you know, his criticism of the fMRI study about the, the location of morality in the brain, he was like, where, you know, where is it? You can't say it's actually here, you know. Maybe he's got, maybe he's onto something. Maybe it's Well, I think there's, stomach. I mean, you could make a poetic argument and say it's halfway in between and say, like, morality is somewhere between the heart and the head. You know, like, I, I just think, I really, I really don't think we're meant to fully understand things like that. Is like, what makes a person make a moral decision as opposed to an amoral decision? Mm-hmm. Like, we can map the brain forever. And like somebody, somebody will shock us. Like he, even the most like hardened criminals think like Charles Manson is a nutbag. You know, like, <laughs> like there, there's like there's like the average set of like abnormality, and then there's like somebody who's far in the extremes. Um, and like usually, that's where we learn the most is by somebody who is far in the extremes because we can study them against what the like median normal is in quotes. Um, I just like. I, I mean, like, it, it's proven by, like, this, this gap study that you're talking about. Like, that's, I mean, so much, so much of what we consume as food and sustenance, if you can call it that, it, like, affects our behavior and affects other systems other than our digestive system. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, me, me, the libertarian conspiracy theorist, uh, really thinks that there's a fair amount of, uh, of stuff that's allowed in food in the U.S. that shouldn't be that is causing a lot more disease for nefarious reasons than, uh, than there are in Europe or other, other civilized countries. Uh, I mean, it would, I wouldn't be surprised if there, you could tie behavioral things to it. I mean, like we allow so many odd preservatives and like synthetic hormones and stuff into our food that the Europeans don't. And the Europeans also don't have a huge, I mean, they they have cases of, uh, of autism and, and other developmental challenges, but, not nearly on the scale that we do. So I, I mean, I guess you could, you could go that direction. I just don't, I, I don't know. I just, I, I think that that's a touchy topic topic for people, especially for people with uh-huh. young kids like yep. uh, you and me. Yes. Um, and certainly not, not one I would be anxious to like dive down into. However, no. I do think that right. like you can rule a lot of things out by, by eating better. Mm. I, trust me. I wish I did that. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> wrapping this up, <laughs> wait, wait, is there anything we can learn? Is there anything we've learned about like ourselves, our brains or the scientific community even from uh, exploring phrenology? Well, I did find one interesting thing and, and it, you know, I think it's something we all know that scientists do, especially uh, scientists who study old things like paleontologists. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you look at the size of a it's like say a stegosaurus skull and you say oh well this is a very small brain must not have been very smart right so that isn't that just a a kind of phrenology mm-hmm. I suppose like I mean they but they've haven't they since discredited that that's even a real thing or is that I'm, I'm maybe I'm stegosaurus thinking <laughs> no just that like brain size doesn't necessarily 
interpret you can't necessarily interpret intelligence based on that. Yeah. I, I in, in creatures, not in humans. You know, all this looking in brain shape, I didn't I didn't actually look into brain size as related to intelligence. Everything everything that I, I have I'm seen actually, that said that it's it, that's basically disproven. That there's nothing there's no correlation between size of the brain and intelligence. So a a, a stegosaurus could have been as smart as a human being. Mm-hmm. I didn't say that. Oh. <laughs> I, don't know. I just didn't. It, I don't. I didn't read anything about this, so I'm just talking. But it, it doesn't seem right. <laughs> no, I know. I'm not saying that they're smart. They're smart as people. I just think I don't know if we if the stegosaurus stegosaurus might have been just as dumb as a tyrannosaurus. We don't really know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I I thought that that was the the result of somebody's read. I couldn't even tell you. Like I couldn't mm-hmm. even tell you where I heard this or where I read it. It just it's it's tucked in the back in the the shallow folds of my brain that it feels like that that's something i've heard but in, uh, in the history write of it off for what it is dolphins, dolphins, article. there are several several animals in the world that have much larger brains than ours and we're much smarter than they are so that's true are you sure isn't it relative <laughs> to body size then well, i mean i don't know i mean uh, dolphins have bigger brains than humans do they but they're bigger than whales us. do whales don't actually what? Whales do not have bigger brains. Whales have much, much smaller brains. Have you ever heard that? Like blue. I'm gonna look that up before I actually say it. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I, yeah, I think I think you should. Wait, are you 65 percent sure? Uh, right now, I'm uh, I'm, I'm 50. Okay. Well, wait, sir, you are 29. Blue, blue whale's brain is the size of a walnut or something like that. Let's see. <laughs> I would be I would be really surprised if that was accurate. I really hope that that's accurate now because that that's just that is such ridiculousness. That's, that's oh, the kind of ridiculous. That, I mean, that's the kind of ridiculousness that the world needs, like yeah. a, like a duck bill on a platypus, you know? Oh man! Like it's uh, it's just weird. How much is okay? So how much does the human brain weigh, real quick? Because a blue whale's brain weighs fifteen pounds. Wow, that's impressive. Human brain weight. Okay, well, a human, like ba- seven, a human seven, brain weighs pounds? three pounds. Okay. Whoa. Well, you're way off. Wow. What disparity. So, what are your sources? Cite your sources, please. This one is uh, fun facts from faculty.washington.edu. That's that's fairly reputable. Yeah, so that's three pounds is the human brain. <laughs> and 15 pounds Kyle, did you have a source or are we just guessing or remembering? No, no I'm guessing, of course. Oh, okay. I, what do I know? I don't know anything. <laughs> I barely know. I barely know my own stuff. I can't know other people's things. I was aghast that uh, that two sources said such different numbers, <laughs> but now now that makes more sense. Okay, good. I would have guessed something like seven to seven to nine. I think too. That's what I would have said. That's that's where I would have guessed. So Jesse, I got to tell you, I'm surprised that at all. You, you, like, I mean. Wait. So, what was the, wait before we go on? What was the comparison between the blue whale brain and the? Um, human I'm looking brain? right now because you know blue whales weigh six thousand pounds and their brains are fifteen pounds. A human weighs. So they're not the size of a walnut. Hundred eight. No, they're not. It seems to be much larger. That's so odd. I feel like somebody <laughs> just told me they were the size of a walnut. Uh, I mean, I may have said that they were close. Oh goodness! Are, are you going okay. by scale now? What's the, you know, relative size of brain? 
Yeah, I mean, it, I, I, he better be. He better be doing some math right now. No, I'm not. I've given up. I'm I'm wrong. <laughs> but their brains so are much smarter. Now you're 29 percent sure. You're 29 percent sure you were right before. Oh man. Okay, so going back to uh, Kyle's original <sighs> point. Kyle's right. Blue, ra- blue whales' brains are larger than humans' brains, but we're still. But smarter. they're not smarter than us. No, but there is. It depends on what you define smartness as, though. Are we completely sure that we're smarter than the blue whales? (laughs) Of course we aren't. I know we're not. I'm pretty sure we don't sound smarter than blue whales right now. Uh, No, goodness. They're just out there making noise, and it sounds better than what we're doing. Okay, Jesse, I got a question for you. (laughs) What is it? Jesse, you are the only one of the three of us who has had somebody literally poke your brain. Oh, yeah, that's true. Did any... did they remove any of your brain when they when you had surgery? How would I know that? <laughs> I don't know. Post operation report? I don't think so. They didn't remove any of your brain. Okay, that's. I'm good. pretty sure not. But you Did know you... what? How would I? I don't know. That's true. You wouldn't know. I mean, unless they... you like forgot things or like couldn't do something when you came out of it. I can't think of a single thing I forgot. What do you think phrenology says about the size of your head now that you've had, uh, since you have had, what, invasive brain surgery, I guess? Well, let's pull up the map. Let's see here. Yes, you you do know where they they touched your brain, right? Like that? Yeah. Okay. I can tell you exactly where. I mean, how how would you know, really? We're going based off if they removed any of your brain. Like, you don't know. Okay. They could have poked poked every, every faculty in your brain. You wouldn't know. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So there, there are maps, right, of uh, the brain zones, the old, the old timey yeah. regions that we that so and so used to call the whatever. What, what am I trying to say? Uh, you know, Gaul's map of the. Uh, of the brains, the brain regions. So, what what I'm doing, what you've asked me to do, I think, is uh, is to look at this map and tell you how my brain might have changed based on my surgery. Is that correct? <laughs> yes, that is what I asked you. Okay, it looks like. Uh, number 12 would have been affected. Number 12, sense of locality. Uh, do you know where you are right now? I was just about to ask, like, uh, are you aware? Pretty where? sure I'm in my house. But that, that, so that extends all the way up into the cheek, from behind the ear, over the ear, uh, into the cheek. So that might not be exactly right. Maybe eight. Eight's kind of behind the ear, lower skull. Where more where I would think the cerebellum might be in actuality. Uh, this says pride, arrogance, love of authority. Oh, yep. you have no love for authority. <laughs> that That's where it was. Dead on. That's, I think they got you. They took it all. They, scra- they, they scraped out your love for authority right there. <laughs> that's right. So well, I'm, okay. sure if we, I'm sure if we ask your lovely wife who knew you before and after, uh, you better than we do, yeah. Uh, she'll tell us that you had never had a love for authority. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love authority. What, what do you mean? I, I oh, just yeah. Love, yeah. love all my teachers all throughout 
all my educational systems. Um, yeah, all my bosses. Yes, of the elected officials. I feel so devoted. Oh man, did they did they add some stuff? Is there is there a bullshit segment to the brain <laughs> there. that they added more to while they were in there? So I don't know if you guys have noticed uh, this, this distinguishing feature of my skull, which is very evident from a, a, a frontal examination of my head, my face, right above my eyes, okay. my eyebrows. I have a very protuberant uh, part of my skull that is kind of right behind my eyebrows, basically. And that is the region for I looked this up yesterday. Arithmetic. Oh arithmetic that's true. Arithmetic counting let's see. Time. And okay. also in there it looks like seventeen. Uh, sense for sounds, musical talent. Wow. This is see, this is painfully. And uh <laughs> 16, delighting in colors. Disposition for colors. You are not a lighting person. No. So, I mean, I mean, he put sounds and colors right next to each other, so obviously well, we can't give any credence to this. Because nobody does. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's it. So, what are we talking about next week, Jesse? We're, we're done. Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy spilled the beans earlier, but Jimmy, there's still more to yeah, come. Oh my god, I'm so excited about this! I forgot we were doing it next week. That's, I'm so sorry for ruining it. That's only half of it, though. We're gonna have plenty of fun, but don't right. worry. This I'm excited. So, world is flat and uh, geocentrism, heliocentrism. Geocentrism. Geocentrism is what we used to think. Heliocentrism is what we now know. So, geocentrism wow. and world is flat next week. Super exciting. They're not super related, but somewhat related. Well, you know, it's a, it's, it's a pseudoscience, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, well, we'll talk to you more about that next week. Definitely. That'll be fun. Thanks for joining us today. Visit impossiblethingspodcast.com to interact with the guys on Twitter, Facebook, and email. Questions, topic suggestions, corrections, and rants are always welcome. Also, find more episodes and see sources referenced in today's discussion. ImpossibleThingsPodcast.com for all things impossible. Impossible.